five U.S. states saying no to TikTok, on top of lawsuits and restrictions on the Chinese-owned app from around the globe. A nationwide loosening of public health rules in China, while certain risks still linger. The U.S. ambassador to China appealing to American citizens living in China, stock up on food and water. U.S.-China trade dropping. U.S. manufacturing orders from China now down 40 percent, with freight rates from China to the West Coast plunging 90 percent. And Beijing boosting ties with Saudi Arabia. An energy-focused visit is happening in the country, and the U.S. is watching closely. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. More U.S. states are saying no to social media app TikTok. On Wednesday, Texas became the latest state to ban the popular video sharing app from its government devices, following Maryland, South Dakota, South Carolina, and Nebraska. Maryland's governor applauded the action in a press release. Referring to the app, he said there may be no greater threat to our personal safety and our national security. TikTok is owned by Chinese tech company ByteDance. Due to China's party-state system, Chinese companies are largely controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. FBI Director Chris Wray says Beijing can therefore use the app's recommendation algorithm and collect user data if it wants to. The idea of entrusting that much data, that much uh, ability to shape content and engage in influence operations, that much access to people's devices, uh, in effect to that government is something that concerns us. ByteDance has said it wouldn't provide Beijing with the data and that U.S. officials' concerns are fueled by misinformation. But TikTok is facing more than state-level restrictions. Lawsuits also await the company. Indiana filed two suits against TikTok on Wednesday, alleging the platform misled consumers about its content and data security. It also takes issue with the platform's influence on children, saying it exposes them to content that includes drugs, alcohol use, and nudity. What's more, similar efforts to ban government use of TikTok are ongoing elsewhere around the globe. Taiwan is also restricting the use of Chinese apps on government devices, citing security concerns. Those apps include TikTok and its Chinese version Douyin and lifestyle and social platform Xiaohongshu. TikTok has met with growing opposition in recent years. Nebraska blocked the app on all state electronic devices as early as August of 2020. The U.S. Army also barred the app. The Federal Trade Commission launched an investigation into TikTok's data practices in July. And more action could soon be on the way. On Tuesday, six Wisconsin lawmakers called on their governor to pick up the same effort. And Florida's governor signing an executive order banning state purchases of TikTok products and services that link to, quote, foreign countries of concern. A nationwide loosening of public health rules unveiled in China on Wednesday. Among the changes, people sickened with COVID-19 who show mild symptoms can now quarantine at home. That's instead of isolating in hotels or quarantine centers. In response, residents have started stocking up on medicines to battle COVID-19 at home. Certain risks still linger. Local authorities still have the power to lock down a building if a positive virus case is discovered, meaning residents inside may still have difficulties getting food. Before the change, authorities would put whole communities under lockdown for a single infection.
Following the news, U.S. Ambassador to China Nicholas Burns appealed again to American citizens living in China. He advised them to store food and water, adding that it's obviously an uncertain time in China as related to the pandemic. Uh, you've seen the way that China, uh, the government here, has reacted over just over the last week or two in certain parts of the country, uh, loosening up on testing, for instance, in Guangzhou and in Beijing, allowing some people who are infected to quarantine at home, and yet in other parts of the country, very strict lockdown. Burns believes China is finally at the point of loosening its strict virus rules. But we think that process may take many, many months. We're encouraging Americans to have enough water, potable water, and food if you do get caught in a lockdown and you're unable to go to a store. This video was released on Wednesday, the same day Beijing announced the most sweeping changes to its tough anti-COVID-19 policy since the pandemic began. We've been covering how the Chinese regime has forcibly taken people from their homes to quarantine camps even if they tested negative for COVID-19. Now, a video of a former Communist Party official's daughter opposing these acts is going viral among Chinese netizens. She was trying to protect herself and her pets. Here's a look. The video shows Liu Xiaoqin, the oldest daughter of a CCP general, picking up kitchen knives from the table. She warned the officials that if they enforce the law violently and do things that are inhuman and devoid of conscience, they will be greeted with a kitchen knife. Liu is the daughter of a general who once served as China's Minister of Public Security and Vice Premier of the State Council. This video is currently blocked on Weibo. If they want to kill my cat, if they want to drag me to the camps, I firmly tell you the Constitution grants me the right that if you want to use violence, I have the right to self-defense. I am 75 years old, and I'm not afraid of death. You're law-breaking thugs. You can come to me. If I die, I will take you with me. Anyone who violates the law, breaking into homes, and violently enforces the law, you will be greeted with kitchen knives. I will chop you one by one. Here's a little more context. In China, back when entire residential communities were locked down, authorities would enter homes and spray everything with disinfectant. In some cases, they threw out food in the refrigerator. And in others, pets like cats and dogs were even beaten to death. Fears over that situation likely drove the woman to defend herself and her pets. A U.S. ally is set to comply with an ask from Washington and curb China's semiconductor-making sector. Dutch officials are planning to enforce new controls on equipment exports to China, specifically on gear used to make advanced microchips. Bloomberg News reported Wednesday that the agreement could come as soon as next month. Here's a look at the details. This potentially aligns their trade rules with U.S. efforts to restrict Beijing's access to high-end technology. Under pressure from the United States, the Dutch government since 2018 has not allowed the country's largest company, semiconductor equipment maker ASML, to ship its most advanced machines to China. That's because the equipment is considered dual-use with potential military applications. 
ASML is a key maker of semiconductor equipment worldwide. Its latest annual report shows about 15% of its revenue last year came from China. It's unclear what the new restrictions mean for ASML sales to China. Dutch statistics office CBS says China is Netherlands' second largest trade partner after Germany. The Biden administration in early October published a sweeping set of export controls, including a measure to cut China off from certain semiconductor chips made anywhere in the world with U.S. tools. The company ASML is critical to microchip production. Without the machines it makes, manufacturers would not be able to produce a single semiconductor. The machines are used for EUE lithography, a must-have technology for making microchips used in smartphones, cars and weapons. ASML is the only company making the machines. Right now, it's only exporting low-end machines to China. U.S. logistics managers are expecting delivery delays as they ring in the new year. They say goods from China coming in early January may take longer than normal to arrive. Here's more on what's happening. According to a CNBC report, it comes as a result of canceled sailings of container ships. U.S. manufacturing orders from China are down 40 percent as demand collapses. Chinese factories are shutting down two weeks earlier than usual out of the Chinese New Year, and freight rates from China to the West Coast are down 90 percent as global trade continues to drop off. Ocean freight contract market prices hit a record low in November. CNBC says logistics firms are warning it could initiate an all-out price war in 2023 with too many ocean vessels and too much container capacity. And central banks around the world are raising interest rates, sparking concerns of a recession. The world's top importer and exporter of oils are sitting down to bolster ties in a three-day visit they call epoch-making. On Wednesday, red carpets rolled out for China's communist leader Xi Jinping upon his arrival in Saudi Arabia. Two conferences will be held that bring at least 14 leaders from the Arab world together. And over 30 trade, economic and military agreements worth $30 billion have already been signed. That's including a deal signed on Thursday with tech giant Huawei, despite U.S. sanctions against the Chinese firm. Xi's trip signals a deepening of ties between China and Saudi Arabia. But it likely comes at Washington's dismay, a major strategic ally. On Wednesday, the White House said it's not surprised she is making such a high-profile visit to the region and that the U.S. is, quote, mindful of the influence that China is trying to grow around the world. A strong American ally for eight long decades, Saudi Arabia has become bitter in recent years over U.S. security presence in the region. Likewise, the U.S. has also criticized Saudi Arabia's autocratic governance and poor human rights record. Another disagreement also came up between the two over Saudi's support for oil output curbs. As a result, Russia might have more revenue to fund its war in Ukraine, despite Western sanctions on its economy. Beijing is already competing with the U.S. for influence in the region. Plus, it will also need more Saudi oil as it starts to loosen COVID-19 rules. The U.S. used to be the biggest consumer of the Middle Eastern oil. Today, it consumes only a fraction of that former peak. China is now Saudi Arabia's biggest client and trading partner. 
The U.S. and Russia are vying for influence and arms sales in Vietnam this week. The two powers displayed weapons and aircraft Thursday at the Southeast Asian country's first large-scale arms fair. Vietnam borders China to the north, and it's located next to a strategically significant area, the South China Sea. China has ongoing territory disputes in those waters with Vietnam and other nations, like over the Spratly Islands. As a result, allying with the U.S. is key for the country's security. The U.S. also needs that cooperation to counter China. The arms fair in Vietnam's capital attracted exhibitors from 30 countries. That's including nearly all major weapons producers. China was the only nation to refuse Vietnam's invitation. Vietnam has expressed interest in diversifying its source of military supplies. U.S. Ambassador to Vietnam Mark Knapper welcomed Vietnam's effort. Well, I think it's, it, you know, it certainly, I think, represents a, a new stage in, in, in sort of um, Vietnam's efforts to, to globalize and diversify and modernize. And the United States, we want to be a part of that. The ambassador added that the U.S. wants to boost its military cooperation with Vietnam and is ready to discuss its defense needs, especially on maritime capabilities. Russia is by far the main weapons supplier to Vietnam, covering 80 percent of its needs. But its appeal has decreased in recent months. The Ukraine war could restrict its defense exports and sanctions could deter potential buyers. Mongolian protesters gathered in the capital on Thursday in temperatures well below freezing. There, they called out alleged Mongolian government corruption relating to China. Eight officials suspected of coal theft have been arrested. Thousands of protesters have organized since Sunday, urging the government to name those responsible for at least 420,000 tons of coal unaccounted for between 2013 and 2019. The government said in October it had discovered the missing coal after comparing Mongolian export data with import data reported by China, its main buyer. The findings have fueled further resentment over surging living costs and inequality. Those issues had already triggered protests earlier this year. According to central bank data, coal generated more than half of Mongolia's export revenue in the first 10 months of this year. Coming up, a medical accident transformed into one of the most complicated issues in China. In the spotlight, the Chinese Communist Party's zero COVID-19 policy and how it's made the West rethink its political and economic ties to China. I think Apple and a lot of the uh, manufacturers, the Americans who had operations in China, um, have been effectively uh, rethinking their relationship since 2020. But we also have the Biden administration, which <clears throat> has um, out-trumped Trump in his anti-Chinese attitude. He's kept all Trump's tariffs, although he campaigned against them. We spoke to Milton Israti, chief economist at a New York-based communications firm Bested, to learn more about his take on that and dive into the crucial questions around the confrontation between the U.S. and China. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Beijing's lockdown policy has far surpassed public health issues. It's bled into the nation's economy and has other nations questioning their ties. 
We spoke to Milton Israti, chief economist at a New York-based communications firm Vested, to learn more about what lessons the West has learned and why Europe is becoming a crucial player in the confrontation between Washington and Beijing. Here's what he had to say. Milton, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. So I want to begin with all the headlines are talking about the protests across China, and some of these are about the zero COVID lockdown. So to begin, it seems part of that is also about the economic impact these policies have had in China, but also the effects we're feeling here. So what do you make of all of this? Well, the the lockdowns, it's clear from the data we've been seeing, not just the recent data about factory uh, activity, but uh, all year, the lockdowns have had a devastating effect on the Chinese economy. They have also had an effect on supply lines that the West and and the United States in particular counts on. Um, And that is having a long-term effect on U.S.-Chinese, not just relations, but the business arrangements. But we can come back to that. But the protests, especially if uh, the government cracks down on them, are going to have, from an economic standpoint, the same effect as the lockdowns. They will interrupt business and they will be a burden on supply chains for the United States. And it seems some people are saying, you know, with these protests, China does seem to be lessening some of the policies. In some areas, people don't need to show a negative virus test to get on public transport, for instance. But the Chinese regime has said in the long term, it's not getting rid of the zero COVID. It's just maybe lessening in some regard. So what are the long term economic impacts that you see here? So I think the government would like to back away. But like all uh, governments of the sort that runs China, that is to say, a top-down, rather um, imperious rule, uh, uh, they can't admit to a mistake. So what the government in China has to do is ease the strain on the population, in other words, get rid of the protests, but without looking like they're backing down. So they'll, they'll make little modifications and say, but we're not doing anything. Because the public just wants to be, just wants relief. They don't want to humiliate the government. I mean, some of them may, but they don't want to humiliate the government. But but President Z cannot admit to a mistake, and zero COVID is him. And it seems some reports are saying, you know, the lessening of the COVID restrictions has nothing to do with the protests, but more to do with the economic front, like the manufacturers. We're seeing Apple, for instance, shifting some of its manufacturing to India. So what's your take on that relationship? Well, I think Apple and a lot of the uh, manufacturers, the Americans who had operations in China, um, have been effectively uh, rethinking their relationship since 2020, since the COVID. Um, they, uh, uh, the Chinese government during COVID made it very clear that China came first. I don't blame them for that. But when you're trying to get supplies out of China, it's very frustrating. And then, of course, in the recovery in the West, uh, there was tremendous upheaval because they couldn't get supplies out of China. So whatever Americans may think of the Chinese regime and however sympathetic or not they may be with the protests, I'm talking about American industry, the better part of valor is to diversify your sources. And that has been the lesson of COVID and the recovery. 
and and the Chinese government has only made it worse with the zero COVID lockdowns. Have they had they recovered the way the rest of the world had allowed economic activity to come back the way Europe and the United States did? There'd be less pressure on people like Apple and others who source in China to find alternatives, whether in India or Vietnam or Indonesia or even Taiwan. And given how intertwined the two world's biggest economies have become over the years, U.S. and China, how do you see that relationship going forward? I think you touched on this a little bit earlier, but where do you see this going? Well, I think the manufacturers, the American businesses, are trying to diversify for the reasons I explained, and that's pure business. But we also have the Biden administration, which <clears throat> has um, out-trumped Trump in his anti-Chinese attitude. He's kept all Trump's tariffs, although he campaigned against them. He's kept all Trump's tariffs. He has now moved with the Chips for America Act to not only subsidize chip manufacturing in the United States, which of course is a response to the supply chains, but it's also a nationalist movement. And he has blocked the sale of high-tech chip manufacturing um, products to China, which is a direct attack. So what we have here, in addition to the normal commercial consideration of American business people saying, we really have to diversify, we had a hard time. And adding on that, recently CNBC had an article come out saying manufacturing from China to the U.S. is down 40 percent. And then the vessel volume, like the ships coming between the two countries just in the month from August to November was down 21 percent. So with that, how are Americans feeling that impact? Well, um, the, the, the thing that it is it is contributed to in the United States is obviously supplies have, have eased up in the United States. So there's no longer a supply shortage. Either diversification elsewhere in Asia and to Latin America has filled the gap, or um, Americans have been able to restock their inventories and are coping with the supply. I think, however, losing what is still a low-cost area of supply has contributed to the inflation in the United States. Marginally, I think there are many other things making the inflation in the United States, but marginally that has contributed to the inflation. China was a low-cost sourcing of consumer goods in particular in the United States and supplies. And of course, we are cutting ourselves off from that. And China's policies are cutting the United States off from that What low-cost supply. And on that note, really quickly, it seems some experts are saying we're decoupling as in China has already decoupling from us. We're not really doing anything as in the U.S. What's your take on that? Well, I don't think China has a policy of decoupling from the United States. Uh, they would very much like to still have the United States as a market. Um, the United, they're happy the United States is emphasizing electronic vehicles. They manufacture electronic vehicles and are huge in the battery area. They don't obviously, they don't want to decouple from the United States. In fact, selling to the United States is a mainspring of their economy. And their economy, of course, is a mainspring of uh, the party's political, diplomatic, and I guess military ambitions. So they're very, they're delighted to keep to keep the United States as a market and sell here. The United States, of course, is backing away for um, security reasons, commercial reasons, and for uh, the fact that the United States has turned toward a more nationalist approach to economics uh, in the past couple of three years almost seamlessly from Trump to Biden, interestingly. 
That is one part that seems to have surprised a lot of people, right? Like different talk on the campaign trail and then in policy. Uh, and on that, any last words? I think that um, the the crucial point now for China, the United States and the United States, is what the European Union does. The European Union has been pressured by the United States to join the United States in decouple, to deny China certain high-tech equipment, as the United States has done. The Europeans uh, depend a lot on China for their trade as well, uh, especially the Germans. Uh, they are not quite going along, but they haven't yet said no. If the Europeans lean toward the United States, then China will find itself in a difficult position. If they don't, then China will be able to substitute very nicely for what is lost in America in Europe. And Europe is a bigger economy as a whole than the United States. Milton, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you. It's a pleasure as always. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.